Okay, thanks for coming. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're in Elul, Rosh Hashanah is on the way, and uh, the king is in the fields. That's this morning's headlines, by the way. <laughs> it's sunny, it's about 72 degrees, and there's a little traffic on the 10. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, so what's going on? Um, so part of the preparation that we have to make, um, you know, the, the whole notion of, of, of Rosh Hashanah is making Hashem king. So, uh, so Hashem is already king. <laughs> but um, part of us either doesn't know it or constantly forgets it or knows it, but has to actually know it even better than we already know it. Um, so, so on that, I just want to tell you one of my favorite stories. Uh, uh, many years ago, my wife and I were, were staying in New York and we were the invited guests of, uh, of a young couple who, can I know her, you know, thank God we're, we're well to do. And, um, and uh, they gave us really the, the run of the house. They were staying there, but they, you know, they gave us keys and they said, you know, just come and go as you like and, and it's, it's your, it's, you know, tr- treat this place like your place. And it was very, very generous of them. Um, when Shabbos came, they, they invited uh, a lot of people and they had uh, a, a long Shabbos table and it was filled with um, really beautiful objects. They had, you know, like lots of silver, lots and lots of silver on the table, Judaica, beautiful stuff and beautiful plates and it was really, it was quite a feast, a lot of food also and the the host was uh, a very nice person and um and very quiet, so he was really, he was sitting at the head of the table, but was silent really for most of the meal, and I was uh, in a very talkative mood, and I was telling a lot of stories, and divrei Torah, and, and, and making jokes, and all the rest, and, and really, you know, people seemed interested, and it was very nice, and like I said, I was staying at the house, and I remember at the end of the meal, um, uh, I walked the uh, the guests to the door, and and I thanked them very much for coming. <laughs> and the, the host, who also walked them to the door, was standing by there, and it hit me like you know like a ton of bricks. Here I am, a guest in this person's home, and I'm acting like I'm the host. And then I had an even bigger realization, which is, I'm a guest in this world, and I'm acting like the host. I'm a guest in this world. And I thought, how many of us, we're all guests in this world, and how many of us are acting like the host? And it's such a fundamental level of awareness in terms of recognizing our place, and and you know, you know, I always like to say, wherever you go, you're standing before God. Wherever you go, you're standing before God, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, I I, I, I told this uh, mushal, this sort of uh, example came to me a few weeks ago. I want to tell it again in this context because I, I, think, there's, <laughs> I think there's more life to squeeze out of this. <laughs> and I, I haven't let it go yet. Um, which, is, which is, imagine, imagine someone makes an incredible goblet. This incredible, incredible, incredible goblet. <clears throat> You know, it's studded with jewels. It's, it's magnificent to hold and to look at. It's like royal. And, um, and someone presents it to you and gives it to you. And you take this, this really, this, this, this magnificent piece of work and your back really itches. And you take this goblet and you use it to scratch your back. And the question is, was that a successful encounter or not? So if you, and it depends. It depends on how you look at. It. On one level, it was a, it was a successful encounter because I had an itchy back, and now my back isn't itchy anymore. My desire has been satisfied. 
But if you look at it from the point of view of the goblet maker, and of course, in this mushal, in this example, the goblet maker is the king, is Hashem, and this goblet is this world, is our life. If you look at it from the point of view of the one who made the goblet, then then it was totally misused. It's not a backscratcher. It's meant for something else. The reason... The reason why I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this again is like, is like the guest who, who thinks he's the host. It is very significant and very important through whose eyes we're viewing our life and our time in this world and through whose eyes we're viewing our mission in this world through. If we are viewing it just through our own eyes and we think that that's the ultimate reality, that this world is is a um, and you can get very religious about hedonism, by the way. Hedonism, in fact, which is the great pursuit of pleasure, hedonism was in fact a religion. The whole Dionysian thing, you know, they'd get, you know, they said, okay, so drunkenness and wine and grapes and everything like that 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 comes from this divine place, and you know, our way of serving. This, this divine ideal is by getting very drunk and carousing and all the rest. They made a religion of hedonism. One, one can, can be very high-minded about their pursuit of pleasure. But if we think, if we think, if we allow ourselves to just view this world through our own eyes, what, what can I personally get out of it? and not view it through Hashem's eyes, that Hashem created this world for a reason, for a purpose, and we're here to to bring that purpose into effect. And what is that purpose? It's the perfection of the world. It's the perfection of the world. So, so anyway, the amazing thing is, is that Hashem allows us to fall into this trap, which is, which is so amazing in and of itself, that God is so humble that he allows himself to be so hidden, that he allows his kaychas, his, his divine power, to be so misused, that he permits this, that he permits people to use their life force to do wrong things and, and sustains them in life. It, it's Hashem's humility, his humbleness, is, is extraordinary. And people confuse it. They think that it's lack of watchfulness. Well, if God is allowing that bad person to continue to do that bad thing, that means Hashem isn't watching. And yet that's not the case. Hashem is watching. It's, it's quite amazing what Hashem allows us to do with our free will as He continues to give us that free will. It's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. Can you imagine, you know, there's a, there's a restaurant here in the neighborhood that everyone loves for good reason, it's like the best food, Jeff's, right? Jeff's Gourmet. Can you imagine? You make a sign, and I'll put my name, David's. And I walk up to Jeff's Gourmet, and I put my name over Jeff's name. <laughs> now it's David's Gourmet. And I tell everyone, I have the best food. <laughs> and Jeff doesn't say anything. <laughs> and then, just to extend the metaphor... Everyone starts saying, you know who has the best food in town? David's. <laughs> and there are a couple of people who say, wait, it's Jeff's, isn't it? <laughs> ah, you're a fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> but th- that's, that's the world we're living in. We're attaching our own name to the world. We're attaching our own name to the world over Hashem's name. And Hashem allows, allows us to take place somehow. Which gets us back to Rosh Hashanah. So you see, there's, 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 it's not just a small thing to make Hashem king. That's the foundation of the entire world. That's the premise of our existence. To remind ourselves, really on the deepest level, that we're here in the service of the king. And we're so afraid of that idea. 
One of the reasons why we don't want to do this, and this is a point we've discussed before, but it's very important. As someone becomes more committed to a Torah path, they're, they're existentially afraid that they're going to disappear. If I take this on myself, I will disappear. I will no longer be me anymore. And it's not the case. It's not the case. Now there is a way to take on uh, mitzvahs in a way that either the person does them too quickly or they do them without the proper understanding or, 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 they're, or they're imitating someone else by doing it. There's all sorts of things that need to be worked through, you know, in terms of how to, how to assimilate it and to make it your own and to really fully integrate it into your life and everything like that. And of course, we always talk about the, the, the mind and the heart being together, you know. I don't know who said it, but I can't stop quoting it, that the biggest distance in the entire world is between the mind and the heart, you know. It's the difference between something being an interesting idea and then, or understanding that this is reality. Like, for instance, we don't believe, the Jewish people do not believe in religion. There's no such thing as religion. You know, that sounds sort of like, ah, sort of, sounds sort of like, what is it? It's atheistic or it's, it sounds like a controversial statement. It's not a controversial statement. There's only reality. It's either true or it's not true. If it's true, it's not religion. It's reality. That's what it is. And if it's not true, then what do we need it for? But we say it is true. So it doesn't mean I, you and me exist in the same world, you're religious, I'm not religious, and yet somehow we exist in the same world. No. God exists whether we want Him to exist or not. It's not, okay, you think God exists, so for you, you live in a world where there's a God. I think that God doesn't exist for Him. For me, I live in a world where there is no God. No, you also live in a world where there's a God. You just happen to be denying that there's a God. There's a God either way. And as Rabbi Green says, and I love this, it's the, God is the only thing that's going on in this world. There's no other game in town. It's just God. You know? You know, what are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to take the God bus to God's. <laughs> then I'm going to do some God. <laughs> then, um, let's see, i got a packed schedule all day, 9 to 5, straight God. <laughs> then I'm going to go home for some more God. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing that's going on. So, so that's... That's, that's, that's Malchus. That's, that's, that's Rosh Hashanah. That's recognizing that Hashem is King. And like I say, we think we're so afraid, and rightfully so, I'm not, God forbid, making fun of this emotion. I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging it and I'm validating it. It's very, very, very real. We think that if we make that level of acknowledgement, that we'll disappear. We won't disappear. And you know what? Your, your, your own soul doesn't want you to be in charge. Imagine, imagine if you really, really were as in charge as you think slash hope you would be. I know I don't want to live in the world where I'm in charge. I know that much. You know? I mean, they made a movie about it. Um, Bruce Almighty. You know? And uh, there's lots of great jokes on it. I mean, there... I think there was one that I that I like. This was, wasn't the best by any means, but but he everyone wants to win the lottery. So he sort of like since he's in control now, he says, "Okay, so everyone will win the lottery." And everyone won the lottery, but because everyone won the lottery, everyone only got like seven dollars because it was like <laughs> split among millions of people, you know. Or he did something like. I don't know what it was. I don't remember the details. I know I'm misquoting it, but you'll get the general idea. He does something romantic, which is he takes the moon from the sky and brings it down, and he causes this gravitational crisis among all the planets, you know? <laughs> you know, God gets to be incredibly poetic and incredibly accurate at the same time. It's not, it's not easy. Um, 
So, so, you know, th- this idea of slichos, we're saying slichos right now, it's actually, um, you know, it's always a question, like, when do you start saying slichos? We start, the Ashkenazim anyway, the Sephardim, to their amazing credit, start at Rosh Chodesh Elul. So they've got extra weeks of slichos, and, and, and slichos, it's an it's a, um, extra service that we do in the morning before the normal davening, and you have to get up very early. So they're getting up very, very, very early for a long time. And you know what it hit me? I, just this morning, actually, I know a lot of Spartan, and over the years, I never once heard one Sephardic Jew complain about how incredibly rigorous that schedule is. You know, like, I, I got to get, I. <laughs> I never heard that once from anyone. You know? And um, anyway, the Ashkenazim start saying it later. And sometimes it's like, you, you begin late at night at Chatzot, so that's already like the middle of the night. Um, and you do it basically the, 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 the last Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. But then some years you do it, say, two Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, like we did this year. So it's always a question, like, when do we say Slichos? So listen to the rule. Here's the rule of how you do it, okay? And you'll see there's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing teaching in this, which is that you need at least four days of Slichos. So depending on when Rosh Hashanah falls out and when Shabbos falls out, you can do a calculation. You need four days. And if you don't have four days then you do it the week before, like we did it this year. Okay, so now why four days? Okay, so I'm just going to give you the straight official answer. I'm not embellishing this. The straight official answer is way deep enough, okay? Because when a person would bring a korban, an offering, to the Holy Temple, to the base of Migdash, they would have to check it four days to make sure there was no blemish in it before they could offer it. And so here we are bringing ourselves to Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. We need at least four days to check ourselves. Can you imagine that we're bringing ourselves up almost like an offering to God? That if it's true for an animal that you would bring, how much more so is it true that we have to check ourselves, a human being, before we present ourselves to Hashem for judgment? But also we're likening ourselves to an offering, which is... Amazing in and of itself. I mean, who am I? What am I? I'm an offering to God? That in itself is awesome. Like we, we associate that with Yitzchak. Like Yitzchak Avinu, right? Isaac was bound on the altar. And we read about that on Rosh Hashanah. You know, so there's a very strong connection between these two points. And Yitzchak, you know, people think that Yitzchak was a little kid. Yitzchak was a grown man. He was a grown man when the Akedah happened. And the Midrashim say, you know what he said? First of all, it says that, that when he realized that he was the offering, right? And by the way, it was never Hashem's, you should know, this is very important, it was never Hashem's intent that Abraham should kill Yitzchak. And it says very specifically in the Torah, never says kill Yitzchak, but Hashem offered it to Abraham it gave him the instructions to put Yitzchak on the altar. That was the extent of what, what Abraham had to do. Nonetheless, Hashem understood that in the way that he said it, that it would be not clear to Abraham and that Abraham would think that he was offering his son. So it was the test that we think it was. It's just you should know that Hashem never said, sacrifice your son. Chas that, 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 that's, that's an important point. Anyway, but Yitzchak when he understood that he was the offering, because that's what they thought at that moment, um, he said, okay. And then there's a, an amazing Pasuk. It said, and the two of them went together. So they were both united in this mission that they were going to do. And then the Midrashim explained that Yitzchak said, tie me tight, tie me tightly, because I don't want that maybe I'll, I'll, I'll experience a moment where I'll, I'll turn too quickly or, or, or something like this and that the me, my life will be an invalid offering because you'll have slit my throat, I guess, is, is what was going to happen in the wrong way. I mean, 
can you imagine? Like, but just the the idea being the, the the quest, the desire to be a perfect offering to God. So God creates another set of circumstances for our lives. We're not putting ourselves on an altar, obviously. But our whole life, right? Our whole life, how are we going to conduct ourselves? You know? Um, so, when one steps into Rosh Hashanah, during this Lichos period, you know, we have to be looking at ourselves, right? You know, there's, a, there's, there's an old joke that I... Uh, that I remember my mother saying, which is that a, a woman uh, goes into a grocery shop and she takes a, 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 uh, a chicken, this is like in the old days, a live chicken, and she's looking under the wings and she's looking at its face and she's opening it up and looking you know, in its mouth and she's analyzing it from every single angle. And the owner of the store comes up to her and says, Lady, could you pass such a test? <laughs> So, so, you know, it's an amazing thing to consider ourselves an offering and that, and, that, and that these days before Rosh Hashanah we're actually literally looking at ourselves in such a way. Okay, so now with this in mind, I want to transition a little bit to, this, um, to the Torah portion that we just read this past Shabbos. And all of these Torah portions, you should know, happen every single week. I mean, rather, let me rephrase that. Happen every single year at this time of the year leading up to Rosh Hashanah. So these are all, these all must be interpreted and viewed not only in their own context, but also in the context of ending the year and, and presenting ourselves to God on Rosh Hashanah. So it says here, it's on Parsha's Kitavo. It says, it will be when you enter the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it that you should take the first of every fruit of the ground that you bring in from your land that Hashem your Lord gives you and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that Hashem your God will choose to make His name rest there. Um, so so it's, 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 it's very poetic really. It's very beautiful that that here we are about to go to where is that place that place where Hashem's name rests that's the holy temple in Jerusalem may it speedily be rebuilt that's the base of Migdash and you know like we're always saying and we'll, we'll get into more depth into this I think on Rosh Hashanah itself I'm saving some thoughts for there but you should know in Gematria that's, um, that's the that's every letter in Hebrew because Hashem created the world with the, with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, like we always say, Reb Shlomo said that when the wind blows through the trees, the rustling sound that that makes is in Hebrew, right? Because Hashem created the world with the Hebrew letters. Every letter has a numerical equivalent. So the Torah, which is the infinite, the infinite compressed into the finite, the Torah is not a book. It's, it's a map of reality and it's functioning on every single level, including a mathematical level. So, so there's this whole level of, of numerology which works in Hebrew that, that is, as, as Reb Shlomo would say, in other languages, it's sweet and it's cute, but you know, don't bet your house on it. This is, this is something that's really one of the special prominences of Hebrew and Torah. You know, the gematria of Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, where we're supposed to bring our basket full of fruit, Beis HaMikdash is the same numerical equivalent of Rosh Hashanah. It's an amazing thing. So we're, it's talking about bringing your basket of fruit to Rosh Hashanah. So what is your basket of fruit? So fruit we know are our deeds. And fruit are our children. So we have to gather up everything that we've done over the past year and we have to put it into a basket in preparation for presenting it to Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. So we have to think, okay, that, 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 that involves a, a level of self-examination. What has my past year been? You know, 
So now listen to this. I want to I take it a step further. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things, one of the beautiful things that we do in, in, in our prayers is because we don't have a holy temple right now, yet, um, and we can't bring the offerings that we would normally bring, in the morning prayers we read the, the sections from the Torah which, which lists the, the offerings, and it's counted as though by reading those sections from the Torah that you're actually bringing these offerings. Now, now there's an amazing little piece of Hasidus that I want to share with you. One of the things that the, um, the Kahanim, the holy priests of the Beis Amigdash, would do as part of just the daily service in the Holy Temple is there were offerings that were burning on the altar over the night, and they were turned into ashes. And they would take the ashes, this is the Truma Sedeshin, and they would take it outside the camp. Because these ashes had a level of holiness, had a level of Kedusha, because they're the remains of these offerings. And they had to be treated with respect. Okay? But let's go a little bit deeper. What does it mean on a deeper level, the notion of ashes? So, when you burn something, when something disappears, all that remains is the ashes. That means, on a deeper level, ashes stand for the distillation, the distillation of an experience. Because it's what remains after the thing is gone. So if you want to get a little bit deeper, let's say you experience something in your life. The memory of that event would be the ashes, right? Because that's the distillation. That's what remains after the event. So what does it tell you to do here as part of the offering? It says, it's talking about the Kohen. And it says that he should remove the ashes to the outside of the camp to a pure place. I read you from the middle of the Pasuk. V'hotziyasadeshen. To a pure place. That means that there has to be a pure place within us, a pure place in our heart where we store the ashes, a pure place in our heart where we store and catalog the memory of all of the beautiful things that have happened to us. Every person has to have that place within them where there's, so to speak, euphoric recall. You have to have that. Because that's a record. That's a record of your existence in this world. And if you don't have that, you're lacking an essential dimension of what it means to be a temple in yourself. In other words, so you have to understand something. In Parsha Shmini, it says... It's talking about the dedication of the Mishkan. This was the, the first holy temple. While, while Moshe and, and all the Jewish people are still in the desert, and really was, in a way, the highest in, in some way, you know, in terms of the revelation of godliness, the visible revelation of godliness among us. And, um, and the Torah portion, it says, it says that God rejoiced over the, complete, the completion of the tabernacle of the Mishkan like he rejoiced when the world was created. And if you go into a, a deeper level, you'll see that the Mishkan is actually a microcosm of a human body and also of the entire universe. There's a lot of very, very, very deep things that, that you see in this. And yet, the astounding thing is, this Parsha, which is chronicling the dedication of this awesome event, starts with the word Vayahi. Now we know from the Gomorrah, when you see the word Vayahi, it portends something bad. Like something bad happened. So how could it be? Uh, this is such a great event. And it gets discussed in the Gomorrah. But I want to tell you something that the Rishonah Rebbe says. Gives a, another answer. He says, you know why it says Vayahi? Because, because that, that dwelling place of godliness, that structure wasn't supposed to be a building. It was supposed to be each and every one of us. That's the tragic part. That's the Vayahi. That's the sad thing. 
It was supposed to be us, not a building. But we have to understand that in the end of days, in the perfection of the world, it's going to be us. It will be us. Each one of us will be like one of these holy headquarters, one of these holy checkpoints where we'll be able to really significantly be a dwelling place and a pure vessel to bring down this level of light. We are to some extent now, but not on the level that we're going to be. Not on the level that we're going to be. And until that moment, we still need that transitional process of the third base of Mikdash, of the third holy temple, before that reality about our own stature fulfills its potential. But anyway, in order, in order to have this level of being a holy temple, which we can access to a certain extent even now, we need to have that holy place, that holy place inside of us to store those ashes. So, so now let's talk about baskets. Now that we've established that, that we need this, what does it mean you put these fruits in, in, in a basket? Okay? So, so Rashi says something very interesting. Rashi says, well, baskets really mean the, the you, you know, it's really talking about, in this week's Parsha, it says Hashem is going to bless the fruit in your basket. Okay? So what does that mean? Well, actually, I'm sorry. Hashem says He's going to bless your baskets. That's what the Pasuk says. Hashem will bless your baskets. So, so um, Rashi explains that that really means the fruit in your basket. Okay, that, that sounds right. And then he gives another explanation. He says, or if you want to say that a basket is a strainer, it's not, going, it's not that the fruit in your basket is, is, is going to be blessed, but it's talking about something liquid. Since he wants to say maybe a basket means a strainer, in which case what will be blessed is your wine and your oil. Okay? But you know, I saw the idea that a basket could be a strainer, and it blew my mind. Because the Pusik just says in and of itself that Hashem is going to bless your baskets. So if you want to understand that a basket could be a strainer, then that would mean, working with the Rashi a little more creatively over here, but that could mean that Hashem is blessing your strainers. Okay? So what does that mean? So in other words, how are we filtering information? How are we assimilating all of the sensory bombardment that we receive during the day, during our lives? All of the quote-unquote advice that we're getting from quote-unquote our friends <laughs> and quote-unquote all the people who are rooting for us. <laughs> you know, Reb Shlomo talked about I never forgot this phrase he used. When someone comes up to you and has a truth attack. <laughs> what's a truth attack? You know something? Let me tell you really what's going on with you. And, oh man. You know? Run! You ever hear that? Run! You know? <laughs> Especially if it's someone who, you know, is not the closest person in your life, you know? You know, so, so, but that's, it's, it's a bit of a side point, but it's also an important point. Whenever you get some information, you must evaluate the source that it's coming from, especially if it's painful information. You know, you must, you can't just take everything and, and everything assumes face value. If someone holy or someone really knowledgeable tells you something, that has to go on one level. When you read something on, you know, in AOL or whatever it is, that has to be on another level. It has to be. It has to be. Because otherwise you're being, otherwise your strainer is not blessed. So, so Hashem, one of the, one of the, one of the blessings is that we should, we should be able to Evaluate critically that that 
that which comes our way. And you know, one of the things that contemporary society has done to its great, great, great detriment um, is to equate religion with stupidity. And it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. You mean, I think this world has some sort of structure to it? That there's some sort of meaning to my life? That I'm amazed by the intricacy of the world and how it's maintained on a phenomenal level and by birth and by nature? And I think that there's a power and a beneficent source behind this? And that makes me a fool? And I think that maybe Hashem who created the world and who sustains me every single moment perhaps has a plan for me and perhaps desires something from me and that He gets to decide what that is? (laughs) Not just me? That makes me a fool? I'm sorry, I, I, I simply cannot accept that premise. I simply cannot accept that premise. And the idea that, 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 that good thinking people are intimidated, intimidated by, you know, you know, you have a PhD? Mazel tov, I have a soul. You know? <laughs> And I'll play poker with you any day. You know, we'll see who wins. So, so the idea, the idea of bringing this basket full of fruits to the Beis Amigdash, and we said Beis Amigdash is Rosh Hashanah, Offering ourselves, bringing ourselves as an offering, and really looking, what what was this past year? And allowing ourselves, allowing ourselves to, to say, you know something? I tried that, and I tried it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? I'm going to try something different this time. You know, have you ever seen those um, those uh, toys that uh, they're like these remote control cars, and they kind of like they go and they hit a wall, and then they reposition themselves, and then they hit the same wall at a slightly different angle, and then they reposition themselves and they hit the same wall at a slightly different angle, and it's just like you're just watching it. And it's so clear that it's a dead end to everyone except the remote control car <laughs> who just is somehow going to go through that wall. He's not going through the wall. You know, turn around. Turn around. Turn around. You know, you see, the problem is, is that we, we commit to certain, certain goals, and I'm talking about life things, like career things also, especially, and we define ourselves by those things. And so, so a person gets themselves, to use this word again, into an existential quandary, which is that, I am that goal, that professional goal, let's say right now. I am that goal. That is me. We are it. So if I deviate from that, then I disappear. And I am no longer me. But the problem is is that we've defined ourselves by the wrong the wrong standard of measure. What did we say? It's, we're living in God's world. 
We're guests in this world. Which means we're here to help perfect the world. We can do that in a variety of different ways. You know, we're not, we're not as limited as we would imagine ourselves to be. We can try something new. And letting go of something is sometimes hard, but sometimes necessary. Or who says a person has to let go entirely? Reprioritizing, rejiggering. You know, I, I remember I was in Jerusalem one time and I heard a teacher say the following. He says, Imagine you won $24 million, right? Would you give God one of the million dollars? Would you give him two of the million dollars? Would you give him three of the million dollars? Four of the million dollars? Right? Um, Because it all came from God to begin with, right? So he said... He said, God gives us 24 hours of life every single day. So would we give him one of those hours back? Right? Two hours, three hours? Um, you know, there are... Th- there's a dynamic. There are a lot of different ways that we that the sages describe our relationship with Hashem. A lot of different mashalim, different, different uh, archetypes, if you will. One is a father and a child. That, that's maybe the most beautiful one. But there are many others, maybe even more beautiful than that. Two, two uh, like a husband and a wife, like two lovers, two loves. That's, that's also said. Like Shira Shirim, it's it's an amazing thing in the Song of Songs. You see that that template. You also have a, a, a king and a subject. You also have a master and a slave. There are all of these different perspectives of um, of our relationship with Hashem, and they're all sort of true, and they're all going on simultaneously. And a lot of it is just choosing the relationship that you want to be in. That's a lot of a lot of what it is. You know, you know, we said it once, I heard it from Rabbi Berger, Mati Berger. I always, I always liked it. I always thought it was very, very deep. He said that when you're in a relationship with someone, the person who is less involved in the relationship determines the relationship. So how do we apply that? So for instance... If I call you every single day and you call me back once a week, we don't have an everyday relationship. We have a once a week relationship. Okay? So the person who is less involved determines the level of the relationship. So Hashem is literally calling us every single second. (laughs) The phone never stops ringing. It never stops ringing. It is literally up to us how often we want to pick up the phone. Which means that, which means that if you're feeling like, oh man, like, ah, I'm so on the outs with God. I'm so on the outs with God. Wait a second, what's that? God's calling right now. (laughs) What's that? God never stopped calling. (laughs) Pick up the phone. (laughs) Pick it up. (laughs) But what do I say? I'm going to have to give so many explanations. You know, interestingly, the name of this service that we say now, I, I told you that we get up early now, starting, starting now, we, we get up early every day until Yom Kippur. What's the name of the service? Slichos. Do you know what Slichos means? It comes from the word like, if you were to bump into someone, you would say Slicha. It means I'm sorry. It's, it's, so, so I wanted to say like this. If I, if I bump into you and I say, I'm sorry, why am I saying I'm sorry? So I'm going to say something. So on the surface, I'm sorry for bumping into you, right? 
But I want to say something deeper, which is that, you know, this is between us and God. I'm sorry that when I bumped into you, I didn't realize it was you. I didn't realize that everything that I was interacting with over the course of my life was just an extension and a manifestation of you, God. I'm sorry that I didn't recognize you in everything over this past year. I'm sorry. So, Elul, the name of the month that we're in right now, is very, very beautiful, very intense. We say the king is in the field. I heard something. Uh, I heard something from Rabbi Grossman at Yeshiva Gedolim. I thought it was really, really interesting. It's a, uh, it's a teaching. We know that God is not a person. God has, God doesn't have a body, right? God makes bodies. He's beyond, beyond the corporal dimensions, 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 dimensions beyond. Nonetheless, for the purposes of our understanding, sometimes we liken him to, to, to a person, just for, just so we can have some measure of grasp of his infiniteness although he's not a person, and he doesn't get tired. So it says like this, that with a judge, right, because Hashem is going to be judging, Hashem, we stand before Hashem the judge on, on, on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah has another name, Yom Adin, which means, it's a little frightening, judgment day. Right? Um, because our whole year is about to be determined. So, they say that, you know, can you imagine a judge, a human judge, after he's judging millions and millions of cases, and by the way, we say Hashem judges the entire world this day, not just Jews. If you have any people that you're close with who aren't Jewish, let them know that it's Rosh Hashanah, that in their own way they should give charity or they should make a prayer of some sort because it's good for them to do that because Hashem is judging the entire world for the next year. Um, and of course, after that period, there's, a, there's another period of time where there's still time to, to change whatever decrees there are and to work with that. But with a human judge, you can imagine after his 10th, 20th, millionth, 10th millionth case, he gets a little tired and a little cranky, right? <laughs> so it's good. It's good to be first in line, right? So, so the sages teach that when Rosh Hashanah, when Elul rolls around, which is leading up to Rosh Hashanah, run before the king, say, take me now. Take me now. Decide now. And I think, again, we, we have to look at this on a slightly deeper level. What, what's this teaching telling us? Because if Hashem isn't a person, and He's not, and He doesn't get tired, which He doesn't, then what sense does this teaching make? I think on one level, the sense that it makes, which is I think so important, is are we willing to trust in Hashem's goodness that everything that He decrees is for the best and is an aspect of the perfection of our lives and of the world and everything like that? Do we trust enough in His goodness that we're willing literally to run to Him to find out what the plan is? And if we are, then that in itself is such a holy bit of service that Hashem views that so favorably that He then blesses us with even more good things. Because here's someone who actually trusts in me, who knows that I'm good and that I mean good and that everything is meant for the good. As many struggles and as much tragedy as there is in the world. So another level of this, and we'll stop with this, um, there's a Rav in this community. His grandfather was uh, the Rav in Kamenetz, which, uh, you know, from, from Russia. I believe maybe it was Poland, but that area. Pointed out something. There's a prayer that we say. It's actually quite an intense prayer. We have a prayer for rain, um, and we have a prayer for dew. And... Um, it's only said once a year. The prayer for rain is said once, once, once a year, right? That's coming up at the end of, or at the beginning of Sukkot. I always forget, end of Sukkot, thank you. And then we have the prayer for dew, which I guess that comes at the beginning of, of Pesach. 
And, um, and it, ends, it ends like this. We say it's, it's like very strong. Like everyone, the, the, we say, Lavracha below Leklalim. That it should be for a, for a blessing and not for a curse. And then everyone says, Amen. Right? Because rain, we've seen rain can decimate cities, it can decimate crops. Also, dew can, can, uh, can, can have a negative effect if it doesn't come in the right measure. Then we say, Lechayim v'lo lemabes, right? That it should be for life and not for death. And everyone yells, Amen. And then we say, Lesova v'lo lerazon, which means for plenty and not for scarcity. That it should come as a, a, in, in abundance in the right way. That we should be enriched in all the levels of meaning of that. And everyone yells, Amen. Okay? So it's the same thing that we say after the prayer for rain and after the prayer for dew. Now listen to this. Look at this. Look how intricate a tapestry the Torah and the Siddur, the prayer book is. Look how, look how rich we are as Jews. It's awesome. How rich humanity is to have this tradition. It's awesome. Look at the very first letter of each of these words. And do you know it spells the same thing backwards every single line? Amen, right? We say amen at the end. That's Aleph. Let's just, I'll just use the, the first line because it's, um, it's, it's the same in every line. And you can look at it. In the art scroll here, it's on page 704. So amen is Aleph. Laklala starts with Lamed. That's Aleph, Lamed. Velo, V, that's Vav. So it's Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Levracha, Lamed. Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed spells Elul. Every single line spells Elul. It's Elul, Elul, Elul. It's incredible. You look at it with your own eyes. You'll see. Elul, Elul, Elul. That's the name of this month leading up to Rosh Hashanah. In other words, we have, we have a way right now to bring down these bruchas for the coming year right now. Right now by running to Hashem and understanding we... we, we he is everywhere. He's everywhere. And that's a good thing. <laughs> if we appreciate the goodness of God, we'll run to God. And Hashem should bless each and every one of us with all of our needs. With all of our needs. And everything that we've been waiting for. And we should see it manifest all around us in our community, in our family, in our friends, in the whole world. That all the nations of the world will see the truth and that we'll all dwell in peace and perfection together.